In this episode of Info Product Mastery, we chat with Avery Smith, data science expert and owner of datacareerjumpstart.com about LinkedIn marketing and building your first info product. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 14. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers, educators, and entrepreneurs launch and grow their online education businesses. Whether you're just looking to create a passive income stream or creating a full-time living, I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And today on the show, we have Avery Smith. Avery runs datacareerjumpstart.com, a website, podcast, and a set of online courses dedicated to helping professionals pivot their careers into data science. Avery has done an incredible amount of work in the past year. He's created the Data Career Jumpstart course with over 100 video lessons. He's built an impressive email list. He's launched a YouTube channel, which is now closing in on 2,000 subscribers. And he shipped nearly 50 episodes of his own podcast. And he's also published a tremendous number of free resources for data science to use as they pivot their careers. That's just a huge amount of work, and it's so impressive and so awesome to see. Avery, thank you for being on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. And thanks for having me on and for that more than gracious welcome. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for being on the show. I, I love having guests. I love seeing how other people are just, you know, not only using computer science and technology, but also seeing how they're turning that into online courses and info products and creating their own businesses, their own income streams. So this is like, this just makes me so happy because I spent a lot of time in the artificial intelligence space be able to have another person on the show who has also done some work in AI, like so much the better. Yeah, for sure. It's such a fun field. It's been fun to be an entrepreneur in the field as well. So it's safe to say, you know, you live and breathe data science. What what even got you interested in data science in the first place? You know, it's so funny because when I was going to college, my dad was like, hey, you should really look into this thing called machine learning. And I was like, well, that sounds super boring. I was like, I don't think I'd be interested in that at all. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Send me, send me what it is. And he sent me like some article about like Alexa or Siri. I don't think those were even really, I mean, I guess Siri is probably out, but it was definitely before Alexa was like the, the household name it was. And I really just took machine learning as it was like taking narrative speech and being able to interpret it. And I was like, ah, I'm not super interested in that. So um, I'll just do my own thing. So I actually studied chemical engineering because I liked chemistry and I liked math. It was a dumb choice in the end, but I mean, it was an okay choice, but I ended up not liking it about a semester. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not really into this. But I was lucky enough to be working at a really small startup company. Um, and I was working in the lab and we had a data scientist on staff. And so I got to interact with him quite a bit. He ended up quitting like two months after me being there. And we ended up not being able to find another data scientist for like four or five, six months. And finally, I said, okay, well, how hard can this whole thing be? I'll just try to figure it out myself. And that's really what, what, where I dove in and how I got addicted to it. Just sort of like a, like a battlefield promotion almost. Like you're, you're on the team, like a guy quits and you're like, all right, I, I guess I'm the new data guy. Yeah, exactly. We only had like <laughs> 12 people at this company, a super small company. And I was in the lab generating all this data. And it was just like stockpiling for the data scientists to come analyze it. But we just weren't hiring one. And so finally, I said, I'm sick of not being able to know what my data is telling us. Like, I'm just going to try to make something on my own. And so I just whipped something up actually in MATLAB of all languages that, that did very basic stuff. But to me, it was like the coolest thing on planet Earth. And I was, I was hooked. Oh, that's great. You know, I think that's 
how a lot of successful people end up finding the passion, the thing that truly motivates them. is like they're in this situation and this opportunity falls onto them and they take it upon themselves. They have the drive to just say, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to figure it out for myself. They tinker with it a little bit and all of a sudden it just clicks within them. And then that that motivation, that type A personality kicks in and they just run with it. And all of a sudden, like a year, two years later, they're experts in it and teaching others. So it almost seems like that's kind of kind of what happened to you is you were just involved in it. You got a little taste of it and you're like, yes, this is it. This is the thing that I want to be studying. Yeah, it was it was so clear when I when I first did it, just like the the joy I, I got from it and how much fun it was for me. That I needed to figure out how to how to make that my my career without changing majors also because <laughs> I didn't want to stay in school any longer. So that was that was another hurdle. So how do you go from, you know, doing data science at this startup to eventually creating your your data science courses and your data science website? What did that path look like? So I, I would first say that like I was I was pretty self-taught. I mean, I don't know what that phrase exactly means, but I started learning on the job. Like my first job in, in data science was really when I was in the lab, like that I made that my job. And I said, I showed my boss and the boss said, yeah, spend 25% of your time on this whole data thing. And I spent 25% of my time and then I was getting better. And so my boss said, why don't you do this half time? And then eventually it was full time. So that was my first like real data science job. I was doing machine learning at a company where I was the only person doing anything with data, any programming whatsoever. So that was my first job. But then I did an internship with ExxonMobil. I ended up working with ExxonMobil full time in, in the optimization and data science space. And while I was at ExxonMobil, I actually got a master's in data science as well. Even though I already had a data science job, I just always knew that I never wanted anyone to like doubt me. Like I wanted to be very, very high credentials and be like, oh, I didn't think I needed it, but I just didn't want anyone to ever be like, you don't know what you're talking about. And be like, oh yeah, I got a master's, so I know a little bit. So probably about halfway through my master's, I, I, I did it uh, remotely through Georgia Tech, their master's in analytics. And it's, it's a pretty good program. But at the same time, I was like, man, there's just so much missing here. And like, there's just, there's just better ways to become a data scientist faster, I felt like. So that's kind of what led me to decide to try to make some of my own courses and some of my own education products is just like what I have, was given. Well, first off, when I was learning, there wasn't that many resources that I found. Um, there's a lot more now, but even the ones I was looking at now maybe lacked in certain spaces. And I thought, well, maybe I could help fill that gap. That makes sense. Yeah, I was kind of reading the, the H1, the tagline on your site and, and really talks about helping professionals pivot and to become a data science. And it almost sounds like that, that almost happened to you is you were working for this job startup and then you, you thought, hey, I want to continue this data science role. And then you pivoted into data science. And now you're teaching other people how to pivot into data science as well. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I'm just trying to fast track my journey and help others. You know, it ended up taking me like four years probably like to, to fully transition. I mean, I was doing data science work at this company, but I was having a hard time getting a data science job outside of this company. So it took me about four years. And I was an undergrad when this whole thing happened as well. So it's a little bit different now. A lot of the times the people I'm helping are like in their 40s. You know, they've had like mm -hmm. a whole first career and now they're looking for that second career. So it is a little bit different, but, but basically the same idea of how can you go from an unrelated career in data to a data job as fast as you can? That's kind of my goal. Interesting. Yeah. So how, how did you validate that professionals without data science backgrounds would be somehow interested in not only learning data science, but also willing to you know, open their wallets and pay for your course? <laughs> I probably didn't validate it, to be honest. 
I, I'm still young and naive. And back then I was even more young and more naive. I guess, I guess my, where like my validation came from was I had launched a free course. Oh, and also I had done, I forgot about this, but I had also done a live like workshop course, like a week long, uh, intense course about like the, the fundamentals of, of data science. And I, I mean, we probably had, I don't, I can't remember the exact amount of people, maybe, maybe 25, 30 people in that. And that was paid. That program was paid probably only about a hundred dollars for 10 hours of live content, which was not nearly enough. But after that, I was like, Oh, I really enjoyed that. That was a really good process. I made, you know, $2,000. That was so cool. How can I scale this and how can I make this, make this better? My free course did really well. It had like, I think 2000 people join it. Wow. Okay. But it was a lot of work to uh, do a free course because you're not making that much money. And with 2000 people, you get a lot of comments. And so it was very hard to support that. So that's probably what laid more into my, my premium products. Okay. That makes sense. But I guess going back to the, to the first question is you, you created this free course and then you did like the live training, the webinar style training. Where did those like 2000 people or whether those initial hundred people come from? Were you like you finding them on LinkedIn? Were you reaching out on social media? Like how, how did they know Avery Smith and that they could trust you for data science? Yeah, I guess there was kind of an intermediate step there. So while I was at ExxonMobil, I had stumbled across posting on LinkedIn. Like all of a sudden, I, I had a couple posts. Like I was just posting maybe maybe once a quarter or something like that. But specifically when COVID came like to the US and we had no idea what it was, the government actually like put this thing out. It was like, hey, calling all data scientists. Here's 40,000 publications, you know, about SARS and COVID and all the stuff that we possibly might know. What can you guys tell us about, about COVID that we don't know yet? And I thought that was so cool that we could like use data science and AI to defeat COVID. And so I tried to like, I was, I was like live coding every day on Twitch, trying to like solve it, but I'm so bad at NLP. I was not, I didn't really end up doing anything very important, but I thought everyone should know about this. So I made a post on LinkedIn you know, just telling, hey, data community, like this is a really cool opportunity where we can, you know, help fight COVID. And I tagged a bunch of like big data content creators on LinkedIn and that post got a, a lot of traction. And so from there, I was like, oh, wow, you can post stuff on LinkedIn and people see, you know, I think 70,000 people saw that post. And I was like, that is crazy. And so I started posting more and more on LinkedIn to the point where I eventually started posting every day, just data science tips, data science content, I guess. And I did that for probably about a year before I, I launched any of my courses. So I, I had an audience size of above 10,000, probably below 20,000, somewhere, somewhere in that range when I launched. And so most of the, the traffic was probably coming from LinkedIn at that point. Oh, that makes sense. You know, I've seen a lot of people have really good success with LinkedIn. And I've seen it like people do once or twice a week long form posts, almost like the LinkedIn pages, and they'll like write many tutorials inside of LinkedIn and publish it. But what I've seen be more successful, these people like, they'll go into change logs for like popular machine learning, artificial intelligence libraries, and they'll like look for the new features. And they'll like take screenshots of code they've written demonstrating the new feature or like, you know, publishing a quick demo of it. And man, those posts, they just do so well. Yeah. And they're super quick to spin up too, because like, it's like 10 lines of code. And it's like a screenshot or a screencast of 10 seconds of output of their code. And people will just pile on are like, wow, like now I just learned how to use this brand new function in scikit-learn or pandas, for example. That works just so well. So I, I would encourage any listener who's thinking of validating an idea, like get on LinkedIn, like 
see what the popular libraries are and just start sharing little snippets of code, little tips, little tricks, that can go a really, really long way. Yeah, for sure. LinkedIn has a, a big audience and I don't know as much now, but it's it's a content deficient media, meaning there's a lot of people on there, but not a lot of people creating content. So the organic reach is, is pretty high. And like you said, if you, even if you do some silly, what you think is simple things, people sometimes go nuts for it and you can grow your audience. It's also interesting because LinkedIn has really pushed towards making content a first-class citizen. Previously, you could only have yeah. like connections on LinkedIn. Now you have followers and creator mode. And allegedly, if you put your LinkedIn profile into, into creator mode, you get far more reach. That's something I've heard. I haven't necessarily seen it myself. Maybe maybe you've had better luck with it, but that's just another another tip for people to play around with. Yeah, for sure. They are trying to become more content friendly. I still think they're not even really that close. I love LinkedIn. Most of my business runs from, from LinkedIn. Uh, most of my leads are from LinkedIn. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the platform. But at the same time, there's still a lot missing. Monetizations, like nowhere to be found. The search feature is terrible. The inbox is awful. Like there's definitely a lot of pros and cons to LinkedIn, but it's worked out really well for me. I think LinkedIn is just an underutilized platform for people trying to validate niches. Yeah. Because you, you try and do it with Facebook and like say you're running Facebook ads to like a, a landing page to collect someone's email address. But it's like maybe that works, maybe it doesn't, but you're spending money on those ads. And plus your ads are showing up next to like your sister's like five-year-old kid or like yeah. their dog or something like that. People aren't in a buying professional mood when they're on Facebook or Twitter or, in, or Instagram. On LinkedIn, though, like, it's a totally different story. People are, are either job hunting or you know, following someone or looking for a very specific type of content. So LinkedIn is just super, super powerful for that reason. Yeah, it, it is really interesting because people, especially like education and info products, you know, people are on, on LinkedIn to either network or to learn. So it is kind of a more niche audience. And also, like you said, just testing out your ideas. Like for instance, you have to make a whole landing page and a whole Facebook ad, which I know, you know, is that's not nothing. That takes a lot of time to do versus just kind of post whatever on LinkedIn, see if it works or not, and then be like, oh, wow, people really resonated with this message. Let's go make the landing page for this. Let's go make the Facebook ad for this. But testing it out in such like an easy way, you know, you can, you can bang out a LinkedIn post in under five minutes and evaluate how it does. So it's a, it's a, good, it's a good tool to, to test stuff. Absolutely. And you know, likes on a LinkedIn post and, and comments on LinkedIn post, that certainly doesn't mean that someone's going to buy your product. But I will say getting likes and comments on LinkedIn, far higher probability those people will convert to customers than say Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just again, for the reason that LinkedIn is for professionals. Yeah. Another thing that you said was interesting is like LinkedIn has, you know, people with their wallets ready to, to purchase. Typically, from, from what I've read about, you know, info products and online courses and stuff like that, typically someone makes, you know, I think it's, it's a dollar per every email on your email list per month. So like if you have 10,000 emails, you can expect to make, you know, $10,000 on your email list. And I don't know if that's true or not. Like that's just kind of what I heard from, you know, people like Russell Brunson and stuff like that, that are all about building your list. I far outperform that metric. And I think it's really because the leads I end up doing are really qualified from LinkedIn. Right. I agree with you. And I think, I think a dollar is honestly a bit low. If you're I, only I making a dollar per someone on your email list, then either your email list has just gotten so large that you haven't like called it a little bit and like trimmed down the fat just to get people who really should be there. Or, you know, you're, you're doing something incorrect with your positioning or you're, you haven't found product market fit there. Like there's something probably that needs a little bit of tweaking 
if you're only getting a buck per person on your email list. Or, you know, it could simply be that you're just not charging enough because that's that's another thing I've seen with, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in info products or SaaS or whatever, but no one is going to value your time higher than than you will. People will gladly pay you less than what than yeah. what you're worth, you know? So I always tell people like, hey, you want to make a little more money? Like, don't necessarily go out and get more customers. Go like raise your prices a little bit. And that terrifies some people and and rightfully so. But raising your prices a little bit, really good way to boost revenue and and you don't have to generate more leads either. Yeah, it that's that's a good point, especially with the high inflation and recession times. It makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. So you know, we we've talked about LinkedIn and you know, I know you've done some some YouTube channel stuff. Like what type of tools do you use to run your business? Like I saw your course is hosted on Kajabi. Is is your entire site hosted on Kajabi or what's your email list platform? Like I, I think people who are just getting started would like to hear like what tools you use on on a daily basis. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think like the the software that runs my business is is mostly Kajabi. Kajabi, let's see. I I started off my courses in in Podia, and I like I like Podia quite a bit actually. But at the time, their website maker wasn't as good as I would like to have been. But it's way cheaper than Kajabi, so I'm always tempted by switching back. I tried Teachable for a while. Teachable has some goods and some pros and some cons. But I ended up moving to Kajabi because it's just like. It's advertised all as one. I don't know how much it actually is or how much that actually helps me because it's all in one, but it's all kind of mediocre. But the point is I don't have to pay that much and it does everything for me. It does my emails, it does my course hosting, it does landing pages, it does funnels, you know, it does it does quite a bit. So I use Kajabi for my main platform, which which does bulk of everything. LinkedIn is probably where I spend most of my time marketing um, or or creating content. And then that's pretty much it. I've started using Zapier a little bit to tie some loose ends and do some automations, specifically with certificates, automated certificates, which is actually difficult and expensive to do. So I use Zapier to, to handle some automation on the certificates. And then I use a tool. I've used multiple tools over the year to do social media scheduling. Um, there's a lot of good ones. For instance, I use actually I use Canva a lot for all of my graphics and, and design stuff like that. PowerPoints even I use in Canva sometimes. But I, I right now I use something called Hype Fury to schedule my LinkedIn posts. So I usually write my LinkedIn posts in batch, usually about 14. So I usually do that every two weeks. Then they, they get sent out every day at the same time. And it also goes to my Twitter and my Instagram as well. So Hype nice. Fury is a little pricey, but it's Right now, it's making it so I don't have to create custom content for Instagram, which is worth it for me because <laughs> Instagram's hard for me. Yeah, definitely. You said it was Hype Fury? Yeah, Hype Fury. H-Y-P-E-F-U-R-Y.com. I'll check them out. I haven't used them. I've only used Meet Edgar and Hootsuite before. I've used Hootsuite. Like I said, Hype Fury doesn't have all that much. It's actually designed for Twitter, and I'm not very good at Twitter either. I'd like to be better at Twitter and I, I see value in it. So it's really designed for Twitter and it has some great Twitter features, but the LinkedIn features is not that rich. They did just add a new feature that they've had for Twitter for a while, which basically is, I think they call it like an auto plug or something like that. And basically once your post reaches a certain threshold of views or likes, you'll comment as yourself below with a call to action. So that way okay. you're not like salesy in every single... You're not, you're not making people do something in every single post. But the posts that end up going viral, that get a lot of views, you are. So that's, that's nice that like, I wouldn't have to like, worry about that. 
And then the thing I really like about Hype Fury is it will take my tweet and it'll put it in like a in a cute little picture and post it on my Instagram. So I make one thing of content, it goes to Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, all automated. And the Instagram one is where I see the value. Cause I, I do I do like Instagram. It's just it's too much for me to keep up with it right now. So I'm just maintaining and, and keeping followers happy on Instagram, but not really creating any custom content. Oh, that's really cool. I'll have to look into that because like Meet Edgar and, and Hootsuite, like they're they're pretty expensive tools for what they do. And like you've got to schedule it's just a pain, I think, for for some of these social media tools to to schedule content. And as you said, like Instagram, it's so visual that if you're not a graphic designer or if you don't have a graphic designer like on your payroll, like your content really is gonna do that well on Instagram. So having tools that can like combine all that and get that stuff online, it sounds like a huge, huge win. Yeah, it's it's just nice because I don't have to posting on social media every day, especially when I'm trying to do every day consistently, is just really it's too much. But if I can I spend two hours a week, you know, I get 14 pieces of uh, short form content and I know that they're gonna automatically go to Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And that's good enough for me right now. I don't think it's I don't think it's perfect, but it's at a place where I'm I'm happy enough with it. Nice. And I'll say like Kajabi, I loved Kajabi. We we used some like crappy like checkout software back when I ran PyImage Search for the first couple of years. And then we switched over to Kajabi. And Kajabi has a pretty high price tag compared to other tools. I mean, I think the base plan for Kajabi is like 150 bucks. We were on like a, a $400 a month plan, which sounds like a lot of money, especially when you're just getting started. But we were also like a seven-figure info product business. And when you think like, oh, we have all of this in a $400 a month plan, like that's actually really, really good. The features they they have are amazing. Although my biggest gripe with them, I think is their they're like community forums are just awful. They, they yeah. make me feel like I'm in like this old school Facebook group. And I wish they had like a, a single sign on so I could get them over into like a discourse forum. I think that would be perfect if they could do that. Yeah, their, their community product is, is pretty, pretty bad. And that's where Podia really shines is because uh, I think Podia has white labeled circle as their membership. And I'm oh, like, that's so cool. Oh, it's awesome. And they also have intercom built into everything. Which is which is like for those who don't know, it's basically like it's like a CRM with chat, basically, and it's it's awesome. So Podia Podia has a better system for managing and talking to your customers and, and users. In the end of the day, I don't really use the community feature on Kajabi. I go to third party for that, but it mm. is it's annoying for sure. Their certificate system like is a little clunky, but the certificates they issue look really really polished. And you mentioned using Zapier. Check out a credible a c c r e d i b l e dot com. Like they're also a little on the pricey side, but they connect everything and create these awesome certificates that people can embed directly onto their LinkedIn profile. Like one of the slickest designs I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it is super nice. I I looked at them and I, I just, just I'm such a cheapskate to be honest, which is which which kills me sometimes. So right now I just have, it's so, it's not, I wouldn't say it's ghetto because it ends up looking actually pretty good, but it's a, I, I end up using Google slides with like, I design everything in Canva, I leave the space for their name. Zapier does the name placement, which was ends up being good. And then they get the PDF emailed to them. And then they also get a hosted URL, which is, which is nice. So they can kind of do the same thing. It's definitely not as clean as like a credible or credly or whatever these other ones are. For me, it's like it's it was like it was like a thousand bucks a year for certificates. And I was like, ah, I could do that for like 
fifteen dollars. <laughs> but, yeah. but maybe it's a mistake. No. I don't know. I just rolled it out recently, so we'll we'll wait and see what happens. No, unless you have the volume like of issuing so many certificates and and need to have them validated. More importantly, I think like rolling your own solution with the Google Sides is hundred percent the way to go. I I wouldn't worry about the actual accreditation with accredible until like I don't know, like you're almost like a household name in like the da- data science community because like you said, it's super super expensive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're doing it this way. And I, I, I understand that customers want certificates, but I personally, I hate certificates. And like part of my marketing is if you have a certificate, for every certificate you should have, you should have like five data science projects posted on your portfolio. Like employers don't care about certificates, especially from weirdo people like me. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's not like someone's going to apply to a job at like a, a Fortune 500 company and be like, wow, look at this certificate from Data Career Jumpstart. Maybe they are. I don't think they are, though. So I'm not a huge fan of certificates, but people obsess over them. And it's like you need to have them so that people will feel good buying your course and finishing it. So anyways, I think that's a great point. Like, I'm with you. I hated certificates. I never liked the look of them. I remember like taking Udemy courses back in the day and you like get a certificate for like completing a Udemy course. You're like, who in the world is going to care about this, this Udemy course I just completed? Like, and who in their right mind is going to put this Udemy embed on there? their LinkedIn profile. But the thing is like Udemy did it for a reason. You did it for a reason. I did it for a reason for the Pyramid Search. And that's because like for whatever reason, like people like it. People yep. want to have that accomplishment at the end of it. And they think they think it looks good. So it's almost a, a marketing technique. You have to listen to your customers. And sometimes your customers are gonna are gonna say stuff and give you feedback that you would never do yourself. But you just have to realize that that product that you're developing, it's it's not for you it's for your customer and sometimes like you're going to be you have to step outside your comfort zone to maybe offer a feature that you personally would never use yeah but you're right it is great marketing also because people post them you know people post them on linkedin and it's like oh your friend sees it oh it's this where you do this like where'd you okay avery did it okay i'll go check it out so it's also it's also good marketing so it's not all bad in the end you might like this i i typically do hackathon every quarter that's like kind of like an applied project contest of data science. And we did one on NFTs earlier this year. And the certificate, we gave them a regular certificate for that. But we also did an NFT. We gave them an NFT as like their, their certificate. So it's called a POAP protocol of attendance. Oh, I forgot what the other P is, something like that. So we gave those out and like those are like hosted online. They're free to do. So that was kind of an interesting one. It was a pain to set up, but people really liked. They thought that one was fancy. Oh, that's cool. That's a great little hack. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Great idea, Avery. Great idea. <laughs> so if you could go back in time when you were just launching Data Career Jumpstart over a year ago, what would you tell yourself back then? Would you do anything differently? Would you do it all the same? I would almost do it all differently. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any regrets, I guess, because I've learned it all. But the person I was learning all this stuff from was very successful. And I kind of took their model, but I don't, I don't think their model fits my subject as much. Specifically, I made, so I launched a free course on predicting the stock market with Python. Terrible audio, terrible video, free. Like I said, I think we had like 1,700 students or something like that, take that. And then I did two courses for another data science course creator. And so I did those two. Then I was like, all right, I'm ready to launch my own. And so I was like, I'm going to make like a, almost like an academy, like, a, like it's a, a boot camp where I'm going to teach you Python. I'm going to teach you Tableau. 
I'm going to teach you Excel. I'm going to teach you data visualization, all these things. And on top of that, I'm going to teach you how to do projects, how to do a resume, you know, how to land a job. And I built this big course with like all these modules, all these videos. And I wish I would have built one and sold it individually, built one, sold it individually, built one, sold it individually, built one, sold it individually, then bundle it together. And I kind of, I kind of did the opposite where I was selling the bundle at first. And now I'm slowly going back and piecewise pulling off, you know, individual chapters of the bootcamp and selling them individually. I just think it's so much easier to make one small product than making one big product. It's just less of a time investment, less risk, and honestly, probably more money to just do the smaller ones. So that's probably my biggest regret is that I went too big with my first paid product. I have a very, very similar experience. My, my first paid product was actually small. It was a, it's like a 250-page ebook. I think I wrote it in like 14 days or something like that. So that was quick and easy. But once that was done, I went on to create this like monolithic course like with 160 lessons. And if like you if you had like taken a printer and like printed out all the lessons in the course because it was all blog, like kind of premium blog content behind yeah. the paywall, it would have been like 3,000 pages or something <laughs> like that. It's just yeah. like absurdly ridiculous. Over the years, I, I started pulling out pieces of the course, like expanding on it a little, and then I would turn that into a standalone product until eventually that, that course, the monolithic course was deprecated. But it sounds like you had the exact same experience where you're like, oh man, I'm going to build this amazing big thing. When in reality, it's like, no, 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 no. Like take the, take the Linux or Unix module, you know, just build something very small like the LS command and then like sell that. Like don't, don't build the operating system and try to sell it. Yeah, for sure. I, it's, just, it's just so much work. And also, the thing that people don't think about is consumption and completion. You want your customers to get results. And if you made a 3,000-page thing, they're, they're probably not likely to read all 3,000. In fact, they might read 100 and then get discouraged. So it's really important to like make it easily graspable for them. And sometimes, I, and I, I'm still thinking like this, I think I have to, that more is better. But sometimes less is better. One of my favorite content creators on LinkedIn and Twitter is a guy named Justin Welsh. Have you seen him on LinkedIn? I haven't, no. Okay, so Justin's not, not in like the data or tech space. He's more in like marketing and sales and really like content creation, I guess. He's pretty much doing like, it looks like six figures a month. He has two products that are $150 and they take you like max two hours to finish. Wow. Yeah, like each. So it's, it's like he's made four hours of content that he's selling six figures a month worth of. And it's like, it's very basic. I bought both of his products. And I'm like, man, this is, I won't say shallow, but it's not, not very much material. And yet I'm still happily, I, he releases a new product. I'm probably going to buy that one as well. So like, obviously he's doing something right. But I'm trying to think more in that way of how do I get my customers a result quickly? Because that's what they want. They don't want to read, you know, they don't want to watch 180 videos. They want to become a data scientist. So how can you help them reach that result as fast as possible and not necessarily being a million percent comprehensive, just focus on the result? I like that a lot. Focus on the result. That's, that's something I wish I would have done early on is because like you always like volume, let's throw as much content at them as possible. Then we could charge more for it. And like yeah. you think that in your head, but it's, it's not really true in reality. And we were talking about LinkedIn, like who uses LinkedIn? Working professionals and people who are trying to get a job. Well, if someone is already working at a nine to five job and they want to pivot into data science, 
money is probably not the biggest concern to them. Yeah. Instead of the biggest concern is time. They have a limited number of hours per day. Like they'll be studying data science in the morning before they go to work and at night before they go to bed. So they need something that's super targeted, like precision, surgical on a topic that they can quickly grasp. They don't need like this monolithic course that's going to take them six months to get through. And it sounds like this this Justin Welsh person and like through your own experience, you've kind of arrived at that conclusion as well. Is like smaller is actually better. It takes less time to build. You can ship it. And most importantly, I think if you're just getting started, you can get feedback. You get that feedback yeah. from your customers on how you can iterate. Yeah. And and momentum. That's the other thing is like this, this business is so momentum based. And if you're building up momentum, I feel like that's always the direction you want. When I launched... We had, we had a successful launch week, but I was still finishing the course. I, I, I launched it maybe like 25, 30, 40% finished. And to be honest, I still haven't even finished my full big course. Like there's still stuff I want to add to it. And so now I'll be launching a course in August and I'm, I'm doing the opposite approach. It's small, it's result-based, and I'm going to make sure it's done before I actually launch it because then I can just worry about marketing it. Because if you're worrying about marketing and building the course, it's so hard to manage those two. Absolutely. I think that's a, a really good place to leave it because I want people to kind of take away, take that away from the episode, understand that smaller is better. Feedback is important. And the smaller it is, the faster you ship and the faster you get feedback. Avery, if people want to connect or chat with you, what's the, what's the best place to find you at? That's a good question. I would say LinkedIn, but my inbox is a little bit of a zoo there. So sometimes I'm, I'm not always seeing people's messages. But LinkedIn's probably the best place. So just Avery Smith on LinkedIn. Or you can go to datacareerjumpstart.com and find my chat widget. I'm very responsive to those. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Avery. Yeah, of course. Thank you. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review in whatever podcatcher app you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.